one and we are how many how many podcasts have you been on this week to talk about cape epic or is this your first one this is my first one there was there was one trying to get me (laughs) we're the honorary first podcast to talk about your cape epic victory What is up, party people? We've got a special guest on the show this week, which I'm sure you already know about from the title of the episode, but in case you haven't seen, we've got Matty Beers in the house, fresh off his Cape Epic win with teammate Chris Blevins. Matt breaks down the racing for us before getting into some Cape Epic Q&A, and we even have him stick around for a couple listener questions at the end. Speaking of questions, we didn't get to that many of our normal questions this week because we wanted it to be focused on Cape Epic since we had Matt in the studio, but I promise we'll get back to our normal listener questions next week. So, if you have any questions for the show or just want to send us some feedback, hit us up at bonkrosepodcast at gmail.com or slide into those Instagram DMs. All right, let's get this party started. Hot and fresh off Cape Epic win. Thank you, guys. You still, your body's still cooked from the race? Uh, surprisingly, not that bad. Um, it hasn't felt as rough as usual, I think, because of the weather being a bit cooler and then not having a stomach bug for the first time in like seven years. So that's quite nice. Yeah. So I, I saw so many people getting sick. What is it with Cape Epic and people getting sick there? Dude, I think it's a combination of, obviously there's all those like Porter, you know, like Porter loos and showers that you all share and then the water, the food, the riding through like, you know, cow manure and all types of, weird stuff i think it just and then obviously you know when you're fatigued your body just kind of slowly starts shutting down so it's yeah. just like freaking luck is the draw whether you make it out or not is that is that typical for south african riding ride through cow manure yeah because we normally like obviously a farmer opens the land and then they're like cool just send you through the middle of straight through the shit and everything so it's the usual standard mm kind of practice wow yeah yeah you so your teammate blevins got sick during the race right yeah he he had some dodgy stomach problem like right after the prologue he wasn't feeling too great and then Mm -hmm. i think also like the 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 start of the race on the first day was so hard i think we or i averaged like 400 and 30 or 40 watts for the first one and a half hours. Um, Jeez. A normalized was like 470, so it was, it was absolutely savage. And then, you know, that overload. So did, you say, did you say for the first one and a half hours or one and a half minutes? Hours, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that is savage. <laughs> so, um, but everyone kind of shut down. It was just at what, at what level were were each of us going to shut down at? And um, I've had this a few times with Epic is because you decrease the load so much coming in. Um, when you do that first day, your body just like completely cramps up and it's like a shock. So over the years, mm-hmm. I've kind of kept volume a little bit up to accommodate for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming that you guys did not keep that pace up throughout the week. I'm assuming that as the week goes on, the pace decreases, or am I wrong about that? Because that first day sounds brutal. Um, it it does kind of go through a bit of a dip, but like not not much. I mean, the first hour is always, for me, 400 plus for the first hour. Um, and then the last hour is it's pretty grippy as well um the last day was high obviously because we had to get away so i think the first half an hour was just under 500 for me something like that so holy crap man that's insane (laughs) it's pretty gnarly five 500 500 normalized for 30 minutes to get away from uh nino and andre frischnick yeah i think it was 490 something so yeah but it was it was pretty nice it was a good one jeez (laughs) All right, so I don't know if I don't know if you're comfortable if if you want to give this away on the podcast, but do you know what your FTP is? Yeah, and I do don't. you want to tell the podcast listeners? I don't mind. Everyone can 
I don't uh, share, change any of my data or hide. So, but it is on if on training peaks, it's four ninety. Yeah, FTP. <laughs> uh, wow, and that's at 80, 82 kilos. So I'm a bit of a, I'm obviously a big guy, so it is high. Um, but it's around six watts per kilo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the yeah. deal. Wow. So I don't, I don't get any free tears there. Start of my training, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, so that first that first stage when when Chris, you know, kind of had a poor second half of the race. I mean, you guys were in the front group for, you know, halfway through at least. Um and then you kind of fell off the back. Did you guys have concerns that that would that that would parlay into the rest of the week or were you pretty confident that he'd be able to bounce back from it? Um yeah, it, it was a quite a big concern because he suffered with like really bad cramps in hamstrings, adductors. Like he was completely the engine shut down, and we had to like you know physically stand on the side of the road and and stretch. So uh, obviously okay. at that point, you know every minute second disappearing is <laughs> you're gonna have to get it back somehow. Um, but yeah, you you can't panic in a situation like that. You just have to take it, and um, we did what we could at the end to minimize it. And then, pretty much, when you finish that day, you just have to be like, "Shit, now, now, now it really begins." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after that, you know, you guys won the prologue. Then after the stage one, you guys were down. Was it like a handful of minutes, like five minutes, maybe eight minutes? Um, you know, and then and then you you kind of you know Chris bounced back pretty quick, and you guys won stage two. So was then the game just trying to figure out how you were going to tick off those eight minutes for the remaining stages? Yeah, pretty much. Um, like I knew after Chris had that bad day with the cramps, like you pretty much once you cramp, you're probably not going to cramp again. It's just a weird thing. I don't know how it works, um, but it, I've seen it countless times. So I knew. He would bounce back, and um, yeah, pretty much the strategy from there is well, if you're winning, you're putting time into anyone else. So it's pretty, it's not rocket science. You have to win as many stages as you can because that means you're probably putting time into other people. So pretty straightforward, but obviously at Epic, it, it, it's not so easy, but we managed to do it. Yeah, yeah, we saw. So I mean, I, I was mostly just watching like the the highlights from each stage, um, but I saw you guys playing some pretty pretty cool tactics for how you'd go about trying to win those stages. You know, once you guys were in the front selection or you know off the front with another group, um, it seemed like you guys played a good strategy, kind of coming down the last few kilometers. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, was that strategy coming in, or were you guys talking about that more in real time? Yeah, it was a. Um, we played the, the same similar tactic last year um, on stage. I think it was three, um, where obviously I well, my physiology. I'm not a sprinter. I'm more of like a a wounded giraffe when I try and sprint. So um, that's not an option <laughs> for for me. It's not an option. Um, whereas Chris is. I mean, we all know Chris can. He's super fast twitch. He can just absolutely send it. So, yeah, on the on the roll in to the finish, probably like before it happened, maybe one or two minutes. Chris said, "Just you know, send the flyer up the left or the of the right of the road, about two k's to go, and then you know I can I can accelerate quite fast, and then I can hold a high pace and uh, caught them off guard or Nino and I." We knew Nino was pretty smoked because he was doing most of the work. And, um, yeah, then Chris jumped across to us or to me, and then, yeah, that was game over. But, yeah, it's a lot of it's on the fly thinking. You can plan as much as you want, but the race obviously unfolds in many weird ways. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool to see that, that especially that first, first day that you guys did that. Um, and it looked like you kind of tried that a few more times then because it seemed to work well. Um, Chris has so much snap. I mean, it was, it was it was crazy to watch from the the flyover cam. You know, like you're off the front, and then like before you know it, he's put in you know 100 meters on the other two guys. Yeah, and then the other. It's day, actually pretty impressive how much uh, how much endurance he has because um, you know short short track world champion, and obviously he's got a great sprint. But in such a long race like this, back to back days, he seemed to do just fine. Yeah, it's crazy. He 
like when it's just hard on like tempo the whole time he kind of like he says his body gets like almost quiet or like it starts to shut down and then as soon as we start like punching quite a bit like maybe little uphills and he kind of like sparks life back into him and then then he's a complete rocket so um on the i think the next stage when that we got where he kind of held up the group which they weren't very happy about but i had a I had a, a rear tire going flat, so up for about 5K. And um, I knew the finish from from another race we do here called Wines to Wales. And um, I knew if I got in there first that I could kind of nurse the wheel down to the finish line and then he could just snap across to me. And, yeah, it's, it's crazy how it just works out. But you have to just, you know, we, we communicate well during the race where a lot of the other teams – don't so we take advantage of that yeah speaking of that so it seems like there's maybe it's just because whenever somebody gets a mechanical in this race all the cameras are on that person so it seems like it's a mechanical heavy race i don't know if it actually is but it seems like people are getting mechanicals all week is are mechanicals actually higher at this race than normal and do you do anything with your bike setup that would be different than a normal race to compensate for that yeah, so uh, just the nature of the course, they, they really take you on stuff that you would never ride in a normal stage race. Like, obviously, no one would probably enter because it's, mm-hmm. it's so shit. And, um, but with Epic, it's, it's okay because <laughs> it's Epic. Um, so, yeah, everything is just a lot chunkier. It's pretty much trails that have never been ridden maybe a few times. Um, and then, yeah, with, with our... Uh, what we changed, the only thing we changed is heavier tires on the rear. Um, we, yeah, which is, it is slow, which is, it's always a massive, like, shit, do we do this kind of, but yeah, we haven't had a puncher for uh, three epics besides that slow leak on this one stage, but for three epics, I haven't had one with these grid casing tires. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to weigh it up and, figure out okay like do we do we let the rolling resistance weight suffer a little bit but we can kind of confidently you know smash through terrain without having to worry yeah 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 is so this 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 stuff that they're taking you on that's this is not stuff that the locals like ride on a regular basis it's just random crap out there in the in the wilderness or something it's not random crap it's cow crap (laughs) exactly yeah a lot of it so how epic is a lot of it's private land where you can't normally access um so we okay i know from doing because i'm an old dude and i've done like seven epics i know most of the routes because you can only do so much um so that's maybe that's why they need me on the team um but (laughs) um so I kind of know where we're going most of the time. And then, but yeah, we don't ride that race. We don't ride any of these routes almost, the really rough parts, until Epic comes around. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Like, you can't pre-ride it either? You can't? No, they don't. Um, they used to give GPX and route maps back oh, a few few years ago, but then there was, like, massive problems with, obviously, everyone would come out in february and then they would go and trespass riding all the routes and then the farmers absolutely lost it so that that ended quite quickly (laughs) but we we sneaky and we look at the towns that the airbnbs get booked in march and then we we kind of like know where the course is going off of that sure (laughs) so how do you approach it then like every day not I mean, granted, you said you've done enough epics that you you know a lot of the routes, but for you know for someone like Chris or you know any of these other teams coming in, how do you approach it? Are you just on you're just on siding every trail of you know I don't know what's around this corner, but you know we'll we'll find out in a second kind of deal. Yeah, we we obviously go through the route every evening for the next day, um, and then uh, obviously my input and um, the performance manager Mike Postumus who's sports scientist um, myself and him are good friends and we we've done the same amount of epics so we pretty much know everywhere they're going to take us and we relay all that information off of we do get a map actually the night before for the photographers so 
off of that, we um, we have a look and then we can say, okay, cool, we know exactly where we're going tomorrow. That was from, you know, Epic 2014. We went through that river crossing. It's, so it helped, it helped a tremendous amount, like having the local knowledge and, and just doing the race so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Matt, so I've got a gear question for you. So when I saw you first line up for the prologue the first day, you weren't wearing any sunglasses. And then you did that a few other stages. Do you do you normally not ride without glasses? Or do you normally ride without glasses? Um, I do ride. With, I always start the stage with glasses, but then normally at the end I don't have them. Um, I don't know why. I just I can't stand it if there's mud. I'd rather just have it coming in my eye and then just clearing it out. Um, otherwise, I can't see. So maybe I'm just a maybe I'm just okay. a dumbass. I'm, I'm in a I'm <laughs> I'm in agreement with that. Like wearing so unless it's it's perfect conditions, wearing glasses off road is actually somewhat challenging because I feel like I can't see as soon as we hit the first bit of mud. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm I'm often taking my glasses off too. Especially if it's like a rain race or something, I, I don't under I don't understand these people who's got who have their glasses on the entire time during a rain race. Yeah, I I wear contacts, and if I, oh. if my contact falls out, I'm like literally blind. So like, yeah, I can't I can't even risk it. Can you just get prescription glasses? Well, yeah, but the, the whole point of the whole point of you were, what you were just talking about was like being able to ride without yeah, glasses. Yeah, I guess that's not <laughs> the problem at all. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Chris also has to wear. Yeah. Okay. Contact. Yeah, I was just curious. I didn't know if that if if there was a strategy there. Yeah. No. Just just can't see really with the mud splatters. Um, okay. <laughs> I just let it go in my eyes. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. You're so tall. It's probably hard for the mud to actually get up there. <laughs> I think it does help. Um. <laughs> yeah so towards towards the end of the race uh the battle between uh what 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 was it speed company racing that's the that's the team that got second it seemed like it was yeah. super close and then and then they had like some catastrophic mechanical where they're just one of their guys rear derailleur just blew up or something and they literally had to replace a derailleur mid-stage or something like that um yeah i mean how common is stuff like that out there where you're, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a derailleur just completely fail on me mid race unless the battery's running out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they had, I mean, this type of thing does happen quite often. It's funny enough because, so we had just gone through a tech zone and at Epic you have tech boxes with, uh, we have spare derailers, you know, you can basically like, jip a bike out of these boxes and we had just passed like sure. maybe one two k's and they were we were riding behind him through a field and um because we're riding through like vineyard or apple orchards or whatever there's a lot of wire from you know the farming equipment or just fences and mm-hmm. i saw the piece of wire go into the into his rear mech and he had um, a ceramic speed oversized pulley thing. And, yeah, basically I saw it go in and he just pedaled through it. And then, yeah, I basically had like a jockey wheel flying at me. And I was like, oh, have fun, mate. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, man. It's like it's like it seems really like one of those races where the to win the race you got to minimize the amount of bad things that happen to you right whether that be cramping or bonking or having jockey wheels fly at your face or flat tires it's like the the fewer number of bad things that can happen to you in a week the the better probability that you're going to win the race seems like yeah like i've always said to win this race you just basically have to have kind of your worst day is to lose maybe like two minutes three minutes and if you can pretty much keep it you know no mechanical no real terrible terrible day you're pretty much gonna win it um but but then again like nino and uh, andre they didn't have a you know one catastrophic catastrophic day but they managed to slip down so um maybe 
maybe that yeah. theory is out the window nowadays with some of the guys being so strong. Sure. Do you think the level of competition has gone up at Cape Epic since he started? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think the guy, so the guy I first started racing Epic with, um, we did it for GoPro back in 2016, and we were cracking top, I think it was top 20, top 15s on stages, and I mean, we were like, he's the same fitness now, then, or he's actually fitter now, and then this year he was struggling to like crack a top 40, top 50, something like that. Um and obviously, yeah, yeah. So the I think the depth from like the top five down has just become extremely deep. Um, obviously, us top three guys were kind of there alone sure. for most of the race. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of and and you're this is sort of relevant because you're you're going to come over and do some U.S. gravel racing this year. Um, but I mean, that's that's super similar to what kind of u.s gravel racing has seen as well um i mean like for example unbound before last year uh one person ever in the history of the race had gone under 10 hours and then last year 25 people did it so yeah yeah um yeah i think it's um cool should we uh there go ahead i think it's easier now with obviously like equipment um, training plans, people with like understanding diets, um, everything. I think it's mm-hmm. it's just kind of it's easier to understand and access now. So I think that's why. Well, I don't know. That's how I think it is kind of leveled up. Yeah, yeah. Sort of just the natural progression of the sport. It's going to get faster. Yeah. Um, on that note, so you're you're in the uh, you you came over to the U.S. and you did some gravel racing last year. Um, but now you're in the, in the Grand Prix, do you plan on just, or just coming to the, that's obviously a lot of traveling from South Africa to the U S do you plan on just staying in the U S, uh, during your winter or summer? Yeah. So, um, I was going to do sea otter, but, um, I no longer am doing that mm-hmm. because I have obligations here that I kind of have to meet, um, with races and sponsors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically how I'm planning it is to to race five of the seven, so minimum that I can do, <laughs> and then stay for unbound yeah. and unbound and Tasha. I will stay one block, and then I will come back for the end of the year block. Basically, Schwamigan, uh the Rad, I think it's called the Rad, and then uh, Big Sugar. That's kind of how I've structured it. Yeah, gotcha. Forward exactly like you were saying for the travel and just yeah yeah makes sense so you'll I be think, skipping sea otter and leadville then yeah unfortunately <laughs> is is uh i think last year what you get sixth place at leadville is that correct yeah sixth or seventh or something yeah like that yeah is what how do you usually do at altitude is altitude a struggle for you or are you fine with altitude um i mean there's altitude and then there's it's fucking Leadville. Um, I don't even know what that is. But <laughs> um, when I think of altitude, yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, when I think of altitude, it's more of you know for us one thousand six hundred meters, and then I mean Leadville's like double. So mm-hmm. I honestly didn't even know yeah. how I would respond. But there's a few things I would do differently. But there's no ways I could ever win that race. Um, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think probably the race that you have a really good shot of winning is unbound. Um, it seems like a really good course for you. Cause you obviously, you obviously have a lot of endurance and it's not a flat race, but it's, it's rolling Hills. I mean, you did, it's, it's like gravel locos kind of, but the gravel's a bit rougher. So I don't know what you think about that. I don't know if you're really gunning for Unbound or, or if you have a particular Grand Prix race in mind, but that's my thoughts. I mean, Unbound is definitely one I've looked at and what I've wanted to do. Um, it's, I mean, I think the biggest problem for me is also heat. Uh, like, I know mm-hmm. it gets very, very hot out there, and um, I'm a big, there's, yeah. there's a big, big engine on me so like i do have to be very careful in the heat to not 
mm-hmm. overheat and I'll I'll have to do a lot of like heat adaptation leading up towards the race. So if probably last year would sure. have been the best year for me to do it um, in those cold conditions, but well, cold, you know, cooler, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty cold for unbound last year. Yeah. It was a, it was a bad year to miss it, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool, man. So yeah. With the, with the lifetime grand prix, was that something that you sought out and, and applied for, or did they come recruiting you? No, I, I applied for it. Um, I actually wasn't going to. I think I applied on literally the last, um, the final like hour. <laughs> um, I spoke to Keegan. Wow. And um, <laughs> the little bastard um, talked me into it. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. Let me see if I get in. If I get in, then obviously it was meant to be. Um, and yeah that's pretty much how unplanned dude of course of course they're gonna let you in man (laughs) dude what is keegan's got to be recruiting international talent now (laughs) it's only he's only making he's only making you know us like mid-pack guys our job even harder (laughs) yeah so so i've got a question actually related related to keegan for you matt so you you know you raced keegan a handful of times last year in some of these longer races um Leadville particularly um I know you were at I don't he wasn't at it or uh Gravel Locos I guess um maybe Seattle were you at Seattle last year um there were a couple races that, that you raced against Keegan last year so so after racing Keegan and then racing with Blevins for six days do you think if Blevins were to do the lifetime Grand Prix he would give Keegan a solid run for his money because last year, I mean, it was like, you know, kind of a runaway show for Keegan. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... And obviously you too. I mean, you can throw yourself in the mix too, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, judging off of, you know, um, Chris's BWR in Arizona, I think that was a pretty good sign of, you know, he can he can definitely roll the punches there. Um, and I think Keegan with... With altitude, is I think that's his own. I think there maybe Howie, like if Howie really gets back into it, I think Howie can give him a run. Um, but obviously, for me, I can't myself out there. I mean, that dude's on another level when it comes to altitude. Um, and just in general, he is he is beast. Yeah. Like he kind of defies uh, the odds and gravity a bit because he can really motor on a flat, which is weird for a small guy. So, um, and then right. obviously trying to follow that with me behind him, it's not, it's not rad. So there's no, there's no slip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if Howie gets back into really good shape, he could definitely be a threat at Crusher and Natasha and Leadville. I just don't think that he's got the physiology for, for unbound or big sugar or, or some of these other flatter races. I could be wrong. He could totally prove me wrong and win the race, but it's just my kind of like grasp on the situation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like Chris and I were actually speaking about that um, during Epic. We said like, if he's back like in a good vibe and, you know, has good mojo, he'll at Tasha and Leadville, he can definitely give Keegan a good run. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Which would be awesome. Um, we got a handful of listener questions in, so I'd put out like a little, uh, post that we were having someone on from cape epic i didn't i didn't spoil spoil who the the guest was going to be um so some of these are just general but uh i think that's i think that's a good thing because now these questions are going to be a little bit more generic as opposed to very specific yeah yeah so uh mind if we go through a few of these matt yeah go for it um Okay, so this one comes from David, and he wants to know, how did the flat SRAM flat-top chains win the race when Dylan says they're so slow? <laughs> so I'm guessing, were you running the new SRAM transmission drivetrain? Yeah, yeah, we were. Uh, I think I got it, like, that's one day before I raced, two days. <laughs> so that was interesting. Wow. wow. Um, yeah, it felt good, like... For a good, a big guy like me who's pushing obviously a, a lot of watts, like being able to just you know hold that shift in and just I could just fully 
you know, sit at six, seven hundred watts and just shift. It didn't matter. Like it just shifts like boom, 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 perfectly every time in the mud, whatever. Um, that was pretty, like I didn't have to like kind of let off, which was a really nice feeling. And, um, but yeah, I don't know the, the flat top, it, it does look weird and I know it is very slow. So uh, maybe, maybe on the gravel wouldn't be so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think it just goes to show how strong you are that you were able to <laughs> overcome that two to three watt loss there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's got like 500 of them, so there's... <laughs> yeah, there. exactly, like, exactly. You know, yeah. When you've got 500 watts to work with, yeah. two, what's what's an extra 200 <laughs> like watts? Five five, yeah. 500, <laughs> same shit, different day. <laughs> uh, so this next one comes from you. So were you a listener of the show before coming on the show this week? Because you, you, you submitted a question yourself. I do listen to the show. I enjoy it when I, when I don't want something too serious. That's awesome. So thank you guys for keeping me entertained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, uh, I was letting Scott know that that your favorite uh, presenter, which is Scott, is he's he, Matt's going to be pissed that Scott's not on the show. That's uh, right. But yeah, get, I don't even getting know him on the doing. show is like pulling teeth. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I knew it would be a. Now he's all like big time Euro guy. He I knew it would be a tough one to uh, grace his presence, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so did you in fact wear aero socks uh no i did not um i was thinking about it but um yeah we have to wear very specific socks so uh was not allowed mm. dang all right well see it just goes to so that's it's just showing how much stronger you are like not only we're talking about no the flat top chain and no aero socks like at least you got. I, I saw you guys switch back and forth between the arrow helmet and the non-arrow helmet. Maybe Blevins was on the arrow helmet all week. I saw you switch back and forth between the arrow helmet and the non-arrow helmet. Yeah, that was my my only gain I could kind of get at that point because um, we didn't know with the kit order as well with skin suits um, because of me having SA champs like two weeks before. We couldn't get skin suits made, so. I was just on the back mm-hmm. foot, man. Just so many watches just being thrown away, but it's all right. Dang. Wow. <laughs> how, how nice of you to uh, take on that kind of handicap. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this next one comes from Mark, and he wants to know, what kind of fitness increase do you expect to see from a race like this? Uh, in terms of, like, are we getting, like, training peak metric or what? Yeah, or just like you know, like coming off like like do you, would you consider this to be like a fitness booster, or will it actually like hinder your overall fitness in the grand scheme of like you know the next few months? Okay, um, it all depends on. I think there's two factors. One being, did you get sick during or now after the race? Obviously, if you get mm-hmm. sick during and at the or at the tail end now like this during this recovery week i think it can actually hurt you quite a bit i've had it i've had it that way um but if i can stay healthy i do this week super easy you know like probably 10 12 hours max um try and try and absorb the load from the week and then take and then start like building a little bit the following week i think then it can really benefit you yeah for the rest of the year mm. How many cool. how many hours did you ride during the Cape Epic week? What was your and if you want to get nerdy about the stats, we can. But like TSS, all that stuff. I think it was twenty twenty six and something hours from you know the I think from the Monday to the Sunday. But obviously, you add in the prologue and it's whatever twenty seven and a bit. Um, and then TSS was thousand six hundred or something like that. Um, and I went from, I think I started a race at 120 CTL and then I ended on like 150 CTL, 150 something minus, I think it was like minus 50 or 60. Yeah. So like, wow. And that's obviously doesn't maybe sound too bad, but the FTP is set, you know, it's high. So, um, it obviously varies from each person. No, it's, it sounds bad. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of KJs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. One of one of our coaches, who's not as fast as you are, obviously, uh, did the race, and she her ride time for the week was like forty hours or something, or forty. 45 hours. I, I have to go back. It was over 40 hours of riding that week. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, and I mean, yeah, for them, I don't know how far she was back, but I mean, by that time you do like a lot of walking with the, the last couple of days, just because it's like traffic jams out there on the trails. So it's really shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> this one comes from Abby and she wants to know why is everyone drinking the water? So like literally, like do do, do people not just bring their own like rations so that they don't have to like eat and drink from what everyone else is eating and drinking? So, uh, like obviously if you're part of the, the race village, uh, in the tents or like, you know, the campus or whatever, you have access to, to clean, they have clean water, like a massive, cargo container that has like water drums in it that's from pure distilled water and um and then obviously as us in the team we have you know filtered water the whole time but i don't think i think it's more just the nature of there's only so many toilets and you all have to use the same toilet you're touching the same thing it's just like it spreads like wildfire like and um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I think, obviously through you know COVID and everything, no one wears masks or no one sanitizes as much anymore because it's like this, like probably this PTSD that they don't want to do that anymore. Um, so, but we were pretty, sure. yeah, we were pretty like strict about you know even wearing a mask to the bathroom or you know sanitizing the hands absolutely constantly mm-hmm. and. I do think that played dividends in the end, to be honest. Do, do you stay in the tents too, or does does Specialized have their own own place that they're staying each stage? Uh, so we have the camper, like a camper van, where um, each team has a camper, like myself and Chris, our backup team, the ladies, and then the other backup team, and then we kind of form like a, a little circle square and then the mechanics and food is all in the middle um that's how we've always rolled epic but with the weather on the last two days we actually moved into an airbnb which i think helped us in the end Mm -hmm. i think airbnb is the better way to go to be fair just to be out of that you know that whole what do you call that race village that's like quite literal shit show is better yeah yeah that seems I mean if you if you were going to spend the money to go all the way to the you know Cape Epic and do the race it seems like paying a little bit extra for Airbnbs every night would be the way to go. I don't know if that takes away from the race experience or not. Maybe part of the race experience is getting sick, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you would actually the campers are actually so so expensive because I think they're up the price for Epic and then you have to buy um, a spot mm-hmm. for your camper, which is like an absolute absurd amount. And then, and so doing Airbnb is about half the price, which is a funny part. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but this one comes from Linda uh, and he wants to know, is Keegan Swenson the real deal or is he a big fish in a small pond? And then he puts in parentheses, us gravel racing. Um, and I think, I think part of where this comes from is, we, we talked about this on a previous show when when the team was announced that it was going to be Keegan and Lachlan, a lot of the domestic like U.S. fans were kind of blowing up the fact that like this team was going to be like the best team there by far. And like they were going to be like the super strong dynamic duo. Um, and I think there was a lot of like oversight that, you know, the U.S. scene is different than the international scene. Um, yeah. So, I mean, w- was that even like a like like a threat at all like you know keegan and lachlan i mean was you know on paper is that even something you know it's kind of a it's kind of a joke at this point that we talk about tires on every podcast but i think we also talk about keegan on every podcast at this point (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's a popular dude we'll we'll stop talking about keegan when he comes on the show (laughs) um he's uh i'm very good good mates with him so i mean i chatted to him throughout the whole week and um I think just this race is so obviously Lachlan is coming from massive endurance type races and 
I mean, anyone will tell you the stars at this race are absolutely, it's it's insane. It's an XCO for an hour and a half. It's literal XCO watts pace. I mean, Nino said it himself. He's like, I, I do a World Cup for an hour and a half, and then I hang on until the end every day. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that to Lachlan, who's, you know, he's never done XCO. He's never been experienced, like he's never been in that situation. I think it it does hurt him really bad. And then it obviously hurts the endurance at the end. So, I mean, maybe like now doing it at the sharp end this year, he's obviously never done it at the sharp end. He did it last, or was it last year? Two years ago with um, some other guy that was pretty slow, you know? So maybe he can change his approach a little bit, but I mean, they both have engines, obviously. It's just, it is very different. Like, it's something you can't explain and it's until you're in it and it is aggressive and it's like no one gives a shit. So yeah, I think maybe a bit of a learning curve. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to say is, you know, being that, you know, you, you've done it so many times, Nino's done it so many times, like a lot of the guys that are, you know, that are up there, at least one of the riders on the team has some experience. Uh, as far as I know, I think Keegan and, and Lachlan had each done it maybe once, maybe Keegan's done it twice before. Um, first time they were doing it together for sure. And, you know, like the races, like being the fact that the race starts with an XC race, like that means positioning matters a lot too. So if you're sliding in 15th, you know, after the first 30 minutes, it's tough to make up that time up to the leaders. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there was just, you know, some lack of experience there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if they did it again next year, those two, they would have a much better result. I mean, probably not near the front of the race, but, you know, maybe, you know, maybe crack at top five or top seven. Well, so I think this, this question came up last week. I don't know if a listener asked it or if one of us asked it, but if, uh, like, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, Keegan and Blevins had been paired together for the Epic, or even Keegan and you, for that matter, had been paired together for the Epic. How do you think that team would have done? I mean, I think Keegan definitely has the engine and to, you know, to be on the podium and win stages. I don't think that's for sure not a not an issue. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, he showed it last year with Maroc. They were up there like at the front every day, and they got away a few days with Speed Company, and then they came third on the last stage. So that it obviously shows like he is capable. It's just finding someone that can also push him a little bit. Um, yeah, he has the potential for sure, but um, it is hard to find with all the sponsor obligations and yeah, it's, it is a nightmare. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, I've, I, I said this on the last podcast. I, I almost feel like the, and I don't, I don't know how you feel about the team aspect of Cape Epic, but I would, I would almost rather it not be a team race so that we could see who the strongest rider in the race is, as opposed to who the strongest two people in the race is. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I totally agree. It would, it would actually, I think, <laughs> alleviate a lot of um, admin and stress. <laughs> um, and I have heard rumors that it could be like this from 24 onwards. So we'll have to see. Is, is there a reason why they've done the team thing for so long? Um, probably due to the fact of, obviously, that's how it started, um, a team's race. And then it does play like a very mm -hmm. cool dynamic, obviously, with like you're as strong as your, your partner. Um, even though you can be way better, you have mm -hmm. to you look after him. And if you manage that really well, sometimes you can even win or, or you just fall apart completely as a pair. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's getting to the stage now sure. where they could like, I don't know, I think some races do it where you like flip it every year. So maybe one year partners next year singles. I think that type of dynamic would be quite cool. How much say do you get in in who you partner with? It, it, I mean, as a specialized rider, you have an incredible talent pool to pull from. But, you know, is it just like specialized comes to you or the sponsor comes to you and says, hey, 
we have this guy that wants to do Cape Epic or is it, are you reaching out to other athletes? Cause it seems, I mean, being a team's race, it does depend on who your partner is that will kind of determine, you know, where you, where you're going to slot in at in the pecking order. Yeah. So, um, obviously like I have my team in South Africa is Toyota specialized. And then I slot in with the factory team, which is the, you know, the cross country race team. So trying to, you know, figure out that dynamic is quite tricky because they have the XCO riders obviously don't want to detriment their, their XCO season. Um, so yeah, it does get quite like you start searching who else is there. Obviously we have Russell and Howie on the off-road team, um, in the U S which is, it's kind of like a, I suppose a decision through also the other teams and the other managers to, to kind of figure out. But yeah, I'm normally just the guy I'm like, I'm here, I'm ready to go. Just let me know who I want to, who I need to race with. And if you don't need me, then cool. I'll, you know, carry on with my team and my teammates who's a young up and coming rider. So yeah, you kind of just have to leave it quite loose. Um, in a sense, um, but it was nice to pair with Levens again because learning a whole new personality and riding style is quite is quite challenging, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That like if you already have that partnership, it makes it that much easier to. I don't know. You guys have the uh, you know the person's vibe and when they're up and when they're down and and can work together better. That's a good point. I didn't think about that, but yeah, I'm sure you'll be a I'm sure you'll be a hot pick next year for uh, for partners for the race so yeah like yeah with chris we obviously had a really good connection last year and we became good friends throughout the year and then when we knew we were racing together just yeah we were just like you know two little happy kids just wanting to rip our bikes which was really really fun and um yeah you kind of don't want to lose that you know what you've been through together so hopefully he can race again next year but obviously it's olympic so it's going to be a interesting one yeah okay let's we'll lighten the mood a little bit here this one's from nina uh nina wants to know what was your go-to breakfast prior to each stage uh, okay uh so that's supposed to lighten the mood <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know a little bit um so we we super spoiled complete princesses we have like a whole chef that prepare us <laughs> like waffles flapjacks pancakes Jeez, I can't even. It's actually insane. Um, but yeah, basically, what's what's the difference between a flapjack and a pancake? Uh, okay, so wait, we in South Africa we call the real thin ones a pancake, and we call a what you guys call a pancake a flapjack. Oh, I don't so like the, I don't the thin even, ones are like a like a crepe, like a crepe. Oh, all right. <laughs> gotcha. All right. <laughs> it was basically a mix of one or two crepe or pancake and then a bowl of oats. Mm. Just stack a flapjack, flapjack, a crepe, <laughs> a waffle, and then that's a sandwich right there, and you just eat it. <laughs> we did actually do that the one morning. Um, or I wrapped. I think I wrapped a crepe with. I like dismantled waffles and flapjacks into a crepe. It is ridiculous. Yeah. But there you go. (laughs) Nice. Um, what is the, what is the hardest race that you've ever done and which, what is the most fun race you've ever done? Um, hardest race I'd probably say physically was probably Leadville. I've never felt like dying like that in my life. Wow. Dang, man. I mean, yeah, it's the last two hours of Leadville is absolutely brutal. I don't I mean, I don't know how you I don't know where you started falling apart, but it was like it was probably with two hours to go that I just I mean, I felt like the lights turned out. I was up um, Columbine. I was I was already done. I didn't even know where, where I was at that point. I was seeing freaking unicorns rainbows i was absolutely dying and then (laughs) it didn't get better which was the best part um and then you have to hit power line which yeah you're just so freaking gnarly um so that was yeah hardest yeah man 
Your 490 watt FTP was only like 420 or something. <laughs> exactly. It didn't help me out there. Um, and then the funnest, <laughs> funnest race is uh, we have one here, which is a three day, which I'm doing in place of uh, Sea Otter, which is funny to see. You basically started around 2,000 meters and then it's three days, 100Ks per day down to the ocean from the mountains. Sick. And is that an individual race or is that a team race also? Okay. Cool. South Africa is big on the team races, huh? Yeah, they love it. Um, it makes it makes it super interesting. And obviously it's because of Epic that mm-hmm. everyone just adapts this, this yeah. thing of team racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. This one. Okay, well, this one's for you, Dylan. Mike wants to know when Jukebox is going to send a team of you and someone else to Cape Epic. Yep. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I can talk to them about that. I doubt, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I doubt that that would happen, but we'll see who, who would they send me and me and Roberge or me and Alexi or me and Phil Guyman, <laughs> the two YouTubers, <laughs> the two YouTubers, me and Phil. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny. Um, okay. Last one here. What is your number one advice for a first timer doing an, an Epic event? So it sounds like this person's doing Swiss Epic. Uh, never done Swiss Epic, but, uh, I know there's a lot of climbing, so you're going to need to, and the, and the technical, the descents are apparently super technical. So brush up on your skills, technical skills, buy a dropper if you don't have one. I would recommend, and um, <laughs> and you probably don't have to worry too much about stomach bugs there. They're a lot cleaner country than we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed uh, Chris was was riding without the dropper. Yeah, but Chris is um, he's a different animal. I mean, yeah, I don't recommend, but <laughs> yeah, I just thought I thought that was interesting. Did you use a dropper all week? Yeah, I never was. How tall I am, I'll die if I don't have a dropper. I'll just eat shit immediately. <laughs> I never, I never ride a mountain bike without a dropper either. At this point, I mean, I, I, I even put, I even had the dropper on at Leadville. Yes, I was. I didn't have one for Leadville just because I didn't bring it. But I wish I did because mm-hmm. I felt so sketchy. And I also think the aero tucking. I passed a lot of people just dropping my dropper and just not peddling and passing them yeah yeah we we could have a whole podcast on how i think a dropper is actually faster at leadville but adam has has a contrasting opinion on that <laughs> uh, yeah I, I currently don't even there's not a dropper post in my house i don't even own one right now <laughs> the other thing about leadville last year is it was like the year of road pedals man like the top 10 it's like eight out of the 10 had road pedals yeah, I also got dragged into that. I didn't really understand it, and then I just did it because <laughs> the pressure was there. I mean, I, I, I actually had I had road pedals as well, but it was so just crazy yeah, how many. It was so it was crazy how many people did it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't unclip my feet once the whole time. Like, I, there wasn't even like a corner that I needed to like unclip a foot. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for Epic, we could. We could run road pedals for pretty much all of it. Besides, there was that one day where we had to run down, like, it was like just under a mile long, like a run. Um, but other than that, you don't unclip once, really. So yeah. Yeah. we were tempted for the TT and for the for the prologue, but then you have to mess the saddle heights and things like that, so we just left it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hey Matt, I've got some qu- uh, a question for you. So, um, do you are you familiar with Kenya very much at all? Like, have you traveled there? Much? I've never been there. No. Okay. Well, I'm going there for a stage race in June. I was going to see if you had any advice for what to bring or what to do there, but yeah, the migration. Never been. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the migration gravel race. Uh, I would say what I've heard from people. <laughs> You just take a tires that can handle a lot of a lot of uh, abuse i would say <laughs> okay. um and probably get yourself used to like probably eating tuna and rice i guess it's probably best um 
<laughs> don't don't touch the weird food. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Keep it keep yeah. it simple. Keep it simple and um, okay. What? Yeah, but mainly the bike. Like just have robust stuff because I've I've heard it's super super gnarly, like mountain bike shit. Yeah. 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 I I I'm. I'm leaning towards bringing a drop bar mountain bike. Yeah, I would like a like a gravel gravel purpose, but that way I can fit some b- bigger tires on it. Yeah, I would say that's a good option by by the looks of it and what like Lachlan has told me and speaking to the race organizer and stuff. Sounds like a good option to be honest. Okay, sick. I'll I'll do that then. Adam, do you know what tires you're going to go with right now or no? Um, I I just ordered some. Uh, Conti Race Kings yesterday, so probably those. Okay, yeah, the Race Kings are fast. They're for mountain bike standards. They're not the most puncture resistant, but they are more puncture resistant than the, you know the majority of gravel tires. And yeah, I don't even that's, that's I don't I even think that it's it's interesting because I think gravel tires the rubber is actually thicker, but because the volume is so much lower, um, that's why you get punctures on them. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not like super hard on tires usually. Like I, I've I've only ever flatted I think twice in a race. Like I just. Oh wow! All right. I don't know. I don't. I don't flat very often. But I'd still like some extra cushion and protection. Not riding hard so, enough, dude. Dude, I don't know. I mean, I. <laughs> I mean, I push the limits, but yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Matt, I have a question. Can do you have any connection uh, to find some Pathfinder? uh tires because <laughs> dylan bought all of them that exist on the continent so maybe when you fly over for uh for your first gravel race you can bring well, some. is this the 47 yeah yeah exactly or 42 whatever uh we also don't have any here so i think he must have cleaned us out what <laughs> dylan bought, him. Dylan bought all those too yeah <laughs> he completely fucked us <laughs> I have one oh, pair of 47s well, in my garage, and I've one. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, and man. I've got them wow. from the tire engineer at Specialized at Gravel World Champs. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I won't tell you how many pairs I have. <laughs> Just make me seem Lucky spoiled. <laughs> what else you guys got? Anything? That was that was all of our listener questions for for Cape Epic at least. We've got like a shit ton more, but uh, should we? They're not, they're not Cape Epic specific. Should we do like one or two of the normal listener questions, not Cape Epic? See if Matt yeah, Beers we, has any wise words for for the regular listeners. Yeah, we could do that. Let me pull them up. We uh, we also didn't talk about the fact that the about the women's race. I don't know if we wanted to bring that up at all, but I did have the results pulled up. Um, let's see. Okay, do you guys know, since you guys are in the Grand Prix series, do you know, has, and this one comes from uh, the life of Timmy D, uh, who's going to be covering the Lifetime Grand Prix series as far as, uh, like, live coverage for, for the races? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be live covered. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I think Flow Bikes gave it a, gave it a solid try and decided it was too hard so i don't i i don't think there's going to be live coverage i could be wrong but okay yeah i didn't know if you guys from the inside had heard anything yeah um okay so this one this one's from xander and he wants to know what you guys think about bird spokes uh would you guys run them on your bikes and do you think the weight savings and ride quality benefits are worth it over a normal spoke so for if you don't know the bird spokes are like uh I think they're made out of like some kind of fabric. Yeah, it's like rope. It's like a shoelace. <laughs> yeah, Have it's you seen uh, these, Matt? it's interesting because when the spoke is not in tension with the wheel, it's floppy. It's like a literally a floppy spoke, uh, like a string. So, but it is it is really light, and a shocking amount of weight from your wheel comes from the sp- the spokes. So, when you replace all your spokes with these bird spokes, it actually does reduce the weight of your wheel quite a bit. Um, I have no idea about the ride quality. I've never ridden bird spokes, so I can't speak to that. But I do know that it's lighter. 
it's lighter, so therefore you should run it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it is quite a bit lighter. I've heard some people ride them. Uh, I think Specialized were trying some on the Rovals, and um, apparently it's just unbearably stiff. Uh, that's what I've heard from the riders. Unbearably stiff. Like, Interesting. Mm, okay. Like no, like when it does get tensioned, it's just like you know, there's no real give or flex in at all. But that's what I've heard. Yeah. Mm. That's okay. interesting. Yeah. Seem like they're really popular in the fat bike community or or something. Adam, Adam, am I right about that? Um, I mean, the, I would say they're the only reason would be because they're a Midwest company and like fat biking yeah. is still kind of popular in the Midwest. So where, where is bird spokes based out of? I think they're out of like a min, Minneapolis area. Yeah. I've talked to them at I've talked to them at like race expos and stuff. It seems like it seems like a cool company. I just I've never tried them, so I can't speak to the ride quality or anything like that. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Okay, we'll we'll end it with this one. We can we can let Matt in on some of the the normal talk on the show here. So here oh is another amazing gravel race tire question. <laughs> I'm riding Barry Roubaix, uh, and they have an OG Moots route which clears 35s. Um, alternatively, like cyc- they, that sounds like a cyclocross bike. It must be. Yeah, 35 <laughs> mil tires. Alternatively, alternatively, they have a steel hardtail drop bar bike. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, with a suspension fork that can fit up to 2.4 inch tires. Mm. Uh, is Dylan passionate enough about his fat specialized pathfinders that he would race them on a mountain bike over using the, he calls it a, you know, his gravel bike. Uh, the weight difference is substantial, and it's seven or eight pounds weight difference. Yeah. So basically, he wants to know: should he run the steel, super heavy drop bar mountain bike with two two inch tires, or basically a cyclocross bike? Uh, at Barry Roubaix, absolutely don't use the mountain bike. Use the use the moots. Um, there's two. Uh, there's two reasons for that. One of them is that the weight difference that you just threw out there, which is substantial seven to eight pounds is nothing to sniff at and then also the aero difference between a i guess cyclocross bike and a mountain bike with a suspension fork is going to be pretty substantial too and barry roubaix is fairly smooth gravel from what i've heard i haven't actually ridden barry roubaix but i know that people do it on road bikes i don't think a road bike is the right call but i don't you know if you have to do 35s, I don't think it's the end of the world at that race. Yeah, I don't know what the the actual route is like, but I mean, you can get pretty sandy on 35s, so I reckon just do it. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Tyler, anything else to add? I'm just trying to look at where, yeah, I mean, I'm just, having ridden in Michigan a little bit, uh, more so on the east side of the uh, the state, it is super smooth gravel. And not a ton of elevation, maybe some rolling hills kind of out where where the course is. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any need to run bigger tires there. You could get away with 35s and be just fine. Knowing knowing what I know about Barry Roubaix, which is I haven't actually ridden the race, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I've seen pictures. I've seen video. If I were to go to Barry Roubaix, I would... The tire I would probably use is the Challenge Strada Bianchi 40s because those tires are insanely fast. And my my two big gripes with them is, one, they flat easy, and two, uh, the largest size they come in is a 40. But there, I don't think them I, – I don't think there's a high risk of flatting – so that's one of them out of the way. And then the other one is I don't think you necessarily need a massive tire there. So a 40 is probably fine. So Dude, that's probably the tire. He can't I run a 40, bro. That's what <laughs> Well, they also come in a 36. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> inserts right. or no inserts? Uh, no. Maybe there. I, I almost never don't have inserts in my bike, but maybe there you can get away with, get away with it. So no inserts, dude. Matt, Matt you did, you run, did you run inserts yeah. at uh at the epic. I was just about to say that's the one thing that we or well, I personally in South Africa as well that we've ne- we don't even know what these things are basically. <laughs> okay. Have yeah. you ever seen a pool noodle? 
like you use for swimming. Just put one of those in your in your bike. I've seen it, and it just yeah. I don't know. I mean, we've never really. I think it's because also we run quite hard tires in general. Well, I do personally. So I've never really found a need. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a a high pressure guy. I don't I don't like my tires rolling and stuff. Well, Matt, I don't want to give you any more advantages because we're going to be racing each other and you're already your FTP is already so much higher than mine and um but I I I will let you in on this little secret. If you lower your tire pressure on rough terrain, it actually reduces the rolling resistance. And the problem with that is that you're going to if you run low pressure, you're going to bottom out your tire into the rim and cause a flat. And the solution to that problem is to run the insert so that you bottom it out into the foam. I mean, that makes sense on the gravel for sure, because, yeah, I've just been running, you know, hard tire pressure. And because I'm quite heavy for most guys, like to find Mm -hmm. that that balance is pretty, pretty difficult. But, yeah, what you're saying, it makes perfect sense. I'll just have to buy some in the U.S. because... (laughs) <laughs> our distributors don't know what they are. You don't. You don't have to buy any. You can just. You can just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> That's just, crazy just, that they just, haven't made it. Made their way to South Africa yet, but just swing by Dylan's house before Unbound, and he'll he'll set you up with some 47 <laughs> mil Pathfinders with actually inserts. no. I'll set you up with uh, the Tannis inserts. I got a pair <laughs> for you. <laughs> just no one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows. He he knows. Um, cool, man. Well, we'll we'll let you get going. We we've taken a lot of your time here, but uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, look look forward to having you over here for a couple blocks again yeah. this summer. We look forward to seeing you guys talking some shit in real life. It'll be good. There we go. Yeah, that's, what, that's what we like to hear. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's shut it down. We'll see you guys. See ya. See ya. Go well. Cheers. <laughs>